he would go, he'd go, wah, 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 and he'd go, oh, baby, 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 baby. <laughs> and then he'd go, wah, 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 baby, baby, oh, oh, baby, wah, 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 wah. And we were just like, oh, my God. And then he came out and he goes, was that, was that okay? You know, he'd go, yeah, I do, I think I can do it better. And we were going, listen, man. We've got it. We're on our knees worshipping you know, the golden gods. Just what is it that you want to do? Thank you for hitting play on this post-Rona rock and roll and non-post-Bona Bonafide ride through a Celebrity's Perfect Festival lineup. Clearly, you have exceptional taste. Why else would you be here? Well, let's emerge from this imaginary tent, step into the beautiful mind of this episode's guest, another one of my favourite human beings. I'm Sean Keaveney, and if you haven't figured it out already, this is the lineup. If you're wearing a coat, you gotta take that coat off, baby. <laughs> and get down and get with it. Bloody hell. That's get loaded. Amazing, Just mate. what is it you wanna do? We wanna get loaded, we wanna have a good time. <laughs> it's not every act that could get their own musical intro here on the lineup, but what a stroke of luck and careful planning and music licensing. That Primal Screen get the double whammy today, providing not only this genius theme song that we can hear, but also our series one finale guest. The guest under question today has drummed for Jesus and Mary Chain, shoegazed, jangled, and rocked through a variety of musical incarnations before hitting an alchemical pay dirt with his band's Screamadelica album, fusing Acid House and Stonesy and Rock to make. Or Screamadelica. They've gone on to win the Mercury Music Prize, have a pillbox hat full of hits, and that doesn't even take in the man's recent duet album with Savage's Jenny Beth and part one of his autobiography, Tenement Kid. I'd better wind this up, or there'll be no actual time left to discuss all this with Primal Scream's Bobby Gillespie. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. It's lovely to see you. Um, I've, I've, I've seen you relatively recently. Actually, I was just saying this off mic, but I took my eldest two boys to uh, the O2 to watch you perform an NHS show, uh, The Scream, uh, along with Liam Gallagher. And it was just such a seismic experience for the boys, you know, just to hear that, the raucous rock and roll that you bring, you know. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you very much. I'm glad your sons um, were introduced to the joys of high energy rock and roll by uh, Primal Scream. Um, we try to bring a good show to the people uh, every time we play and um, get the rocks off, <laughs> as the song goes. And it's like Johnny Thunders once said, uh, he was asked to describe, you know, what does rock and roll mean? You know, what's it for? And Johnny said, uh, it's to make the kids dance. Oh, come on. And they did. They and did. That's what he says. And you know what? He's right. If you don't make the kids dance, you ain't rock and roll. Well, you did that night. And you, you I mean, you know what? There's a, there's a website. I think every band worth the salt these days has got this, uh, usually run by a fan, like a website that documents every single live performance that that band's done. And the one that, that's run for Primal Scream runs to many, many pages. You've obviously done thousands of gigs. You've had a relentless touring schedule. Hundreds of festivals as well, because this is a, this is obviously is a podcast about festivals, but Big Day Out to Reading, to Kendall Corling, to Benicassim. What what makes you guys such a great festival act, would you say? Because, and do you enjoy, you must enjoy doing them, because you do so many of them. Well, yeah, I mean... Um... I never grew up in festival culture. Um, my kind of coming of age was during punk, you know, and um, 77, 78, 79, 80. And um, bands I like never played festivals, you know. The festivals were, I guess, the only two festivals in Britain were uh, the Reading Festival, which was hard rock. It was Judas yeah. Priest, Quo, Lizzie, um, Scorpions, bands like that. And then there was a the Glastonbury thing, but we we didn't know about Glastonbury. It was it was a remnant from the the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. yeah, you know, I get I, it just wasn't in anybody's um consciousness at all. It wasn't until I think nineteen ninety two Primo's first festival performance was at Glastonbury. And we played on, I don't know what the stage was. It wasn't the pyramid stage, it was another stage. And the the orb played directly before us and then we played. And um, I had to really be convinced by our manager at the time, Alex Nightingale, because because I'd grown up seeing bands play in uh, concert halls and, um, you know, uh, ballrooms yeah. uh, or student unions. Uh, 
I couldn't get into the idea of a festival. It was alien to yeah. me. So playing outside in that. Alien. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Uh, I always felt the rock and roll should be inside at night with lights and like a church ritualistic, <laughs> you know, and uh, a very holy thing. And, um, but Ali's convinced us uh, about this Glastonbury thing. And I think he, I think he lied by telling tell me we're getting a, a really great fee for it. And I said, okay, I can't argue with that. And um, it was that not, it was a bit of a fib then, wasn't I think, it? Yeah. Blessed yeah. we never get paid a lot for that, well, do you? This is what they say. And, um, but it was an enjoyable experience, I have to say. You know, it was just six months or so after Schemadelic. You know, maybe Schemadelic came out in September 91. This was like, June 92, so six, seven, eight, nine months after Screamadelica had been released. So there was a, a there was a vibe yeah. and an audience there that, we, you know, and um, it was a big, it was the biggest audience we'd played to up until that point with 30,000 people or something, so 25,000 people. So it was a, we had a blast, you know, and then the very next night we played at Roskilde. Yeah. Uh, Denmark, innit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, but that wasn't a big ten, and um, yeah, that was. Um, there's a video of that somewhere, I, and we. It's a shame because we we played great, and we were really informed. But uh, the, the video camera, I guess, was fixed on the mixing desk, and there's a guy throughout the whole gig just waves this huge Heineken flag. <laughs> um, Can't see much. I don't think he was been paid for the sponsorship. I think he just <laughs> liked Heineken, you know, and. Um, but the gig was good, you know, and um, so uh, we get booked out to a lot of festivals and then suddenly we were in this festival circuit every year. And um, so, yeah, we started playing festivals and we learned how to work the stage at festivals and um, play to bigger crowds. I mean, you are one of the great festival bands that much we know. Um, and in, when it comes to the lineup, you get five stage slots to fill. It's a dream festival. I'm your dream genie, your festival genie. I can make anything happen. These people can be living or dead. It doesn't matter, right? Um, but first, where in the world shall we stage this fantasy festival? I never, be, I never bargained for that question. I know. Um, could be anywhere. Could be hot, could be cold. It could be Arctic Circle. Could be, it doesn't matter. A savannah. Lions can be a problem in the savannah. Yeah, I mean, it can be too exotic or, you know, people can't afford to go there. Um, okay, I know where it can be. It can be in Culloden Field Ooh. up in the Scottish Highlands. Okay, there you and go. And we're going to attempt to exercise the ghosts of the, the fallen Jacobite rebels were butchered by uh, uh, Lord, Lord Cumberland, you know, and... Um, at the Battle of Culloden in 1745. And um and that battle then led to the Highland Clearances, um, which um which drove the the working people, the crofters, um, off of the land of um you know, the Highlands, uh, to make way for industrial uh level sheep farming. There was more money to be made from sheep farming than there was from uh crofters just, you know. Yeah. Uh, working the We're land and the growing land, vegetables yeah. and stuff and my father according to my father or my ancestors were you know tenant farmers crofters if you like yeah. uh, who lived on the south side of Ben Nevis so they may well have been at Culloden you know they definitely somebody must have survived it had to been there because uh, I'm still yeah. here you know you, so, that's part of your lineage yeah so we're gonna I, I was up there a couple of years back because we did a gig in uh, Inverness and um we uh, we visited the uh, Culloden Field and uh, it's very sad, you know. So we're going to have the festival at Culloden. That's awesome, that. Yeah. And, and what a beautiful reason. And it, it's yeah. a little bit more of an involved and emotional reason than why Reading Festival's at, at the Riverside, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and that feeds into stuff that we might touch on later on about... about um, the politics in 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 your in your persona and in your music and where you come from and 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 all that stuff um, because there's, there's lots to dig into there. But for now, it's at Culloden to commemorate the Jacobite Rebellion. We'll finish with the title because we'll let that percolate. What yeah. we're going to do now is move to the first act, right? 
Uh, and it, this is, if you can imagine such a thing, Bobby, this is the perfect arc of a day. And it starts quite early, I'll give you that. This is the dawn chorus. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? Now, how would you typically start the morning? If you were, let's just put ourselves in this fictional place. You're, you're the custodian of a beautiful, perfect day of festivaling. How would you want to start the morning now? Would it be coffee? Would it be yoga? Would it be a hemp smoothie? Would it be a full English? What, what, how would you, how would you ideally start the day? Would this be music or something well, else? We'll move into music, but we're starting with, uh, you know, literally like a sort of breakfast, actually. We've, we're quite oh, food right. obsessed as well as music. Or since it's the Highlands, um, mm. maybe we would have, um, some lovely fish. Oh, some know? local fish. Produce. You know, like um, okay, kippers. Huh? I think it'd kippers. be kippers and a poached egg. You know? I had that. The, I had mackerel and a poached egg this morning. Or it's mackerel, written in mackerel the stars. Or kippers, yeah, oh, and a poached egg, yeah. And few, then fewer bones. Yeah, they call it Cullen's Cullen Cullen skink. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cullen skink. Okay, we have Cullen skink, and then we have um, there's some nice hot coffee, black, oh. black coffee, and some grapefruit juice, mm. and that should get us ready to go. That's beautiful, and what a start. And um, I couldn't agree with you more. And so we're fueled. And what's the first band that we're going to hear? I know it's early, but this is Well, fictional. I have written down here Tim Buckley. Oh. You know, and I was thinking, uh, you know, Tim, uh, during his uh, blue afternoon uh, phase, where he, he began, you know, things were a lot looser. It was more influenced by the free jazz. Yeah. Uh, of the the late sixties, and it was his music. It kind of drifts. It has a drift. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's quite free. So I think that would be a good start. Tim Buckley, beautiful, really mellifluous and kind of dreamlike, isn't it? Dreamlike, yeah. I mean, I think you know everybody loves Van Morrison and Astor Weeks, but I really do believe that I think Van may have um, maybe saw Tim play. Yeah, you you know, back in the 1967, 68, uh, you know, uh, Van, I think, was living in Boston and Tim played around a lot around that area, I believe. And um, that drift, I think, that you hear in Astro Weeks may have been influenced by Buckley. That's true, because he did, you're right, he sort of started in that kind of almost Greenwich Village folk sort of ideal. And then it, it did become much more jazz inflected, didn't it? And, and uh, you know, sort of more interesting chord structures. and Yeah, and no drums. Yeah, yeah. Just percussion, you know, congas, some double bass, um, Tim on 12 string, some electric piano, and then Buckley, of course, like Van after him could, uh, f- you know... Um, associate lyrically and uh, melodically. Yeah, know? that's right. He like was, in a, in a free, influenced by free jazz uh, musicians. You that know? was a bit scat, scat-like, wasn't it, sometimes, yeah, his yeah, vocal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, Buckley's very sexual, you know, in a way that, I mean, I love Van, you know, but Buckley's got, um, Van's got a real spiritual thing going on and um, Buckley, there's a, there's a real sensuality and a eroticism going on. So I think that's a very good start to the day. I was reading that a great GQ article uh, with you recently, and you talk a bit about being Glaswegian working class and having that kind of last man standing vibe. Like you, you know, when you were originally in Primal Scream, that that's where a lot of the hedonism perhaps came from. That you, you know, when you were, what you were known for in your youth. Well, you know, West of Scotland um, working class culture that I grew up in was very, very, very mature. Very um, hard drinking. Um, you know, I remember um, pubs were very much a a, pres- a male preserve. You know, and um, but I was never a drinker. You know, I I never went to pubs. Um, people around me drank a lot. Um, it kind of served as a warning to me. I, I like sometimes the transformation that people undertook after they'd been drinking. Um, I saw the danger yeah. signs and I didn't feel it was attractive in any way, you know. But, you know, I guess there was a kind of this uh, myth of um, being a, you know, a real man if you could uh, 
you know. Yeah. Take. You could really hold your drink yeah. and stuff. And um, but I think it's pretty uh, prevalent in a lot of working class communities all over the country. You know, not not just in Glasgow, but as I say, I was very aware of that when I was growing up. You know, the it tied in with this the Glasgow hardman image. You know, this violent male, um, hard drinking, unemotional hard man. You know, yeah. and um, that was a the archetypal male image that um, a lot of people try to live up to, but not me, you know. I was, um, I took a different path, you know. Were you a bit more, it seems that you were more influenced by the, the music that you were listening to and by, I think I read somewhere you said that I was more of a pills and powders guy uh, than the alcohol, you know. It's like that kind of, obviously you were hedonistic back in the day, um, but do, do you, did that annoy you a little bit looking back that, you were robbed of some of the credibility that you could have had as a band because you look at the scope of what Primal Scream have done and the musicianship. Do you feel that some of that was corroded by that reputation? Definitely, definitely, yeah. I think we're partly to blame for that as well, and um, you know the the celebration of um, the dissolute uh, lifestyle. You know, also a lot of the people around us were. Um, kind of pushing that agenda as well and that image and um, I think it did overshadow uh, a lot of the the good music that that we made and um, in a way we were taken less seriously and uh, as a result and um, yeah it's it's not so good you know really because you know if that's your legacy it's it's not very cool you know I mean but you've rescued that since, without question, haven't you, I think? You've been clean for 13 years or so now, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think in the last 13 years we've, we've done some good work, like the More Light album, which was the, the first record I made completely clean. Um, um, certainly the, the record we made with Jenny Beth singing on it, that, that's another record I'm very proud of. Um, also, our gigs over the last 13 years have been consistently good. Um, I've just written this book. Um, I could never have written that book if uh, I hadn't achieved sobriety. Um, so I think I've done a lot of good work and the band's done a lot of good work. Um, rebuilding trust with yeah. their audience. And um, and also, you know, there, we, you know we, we've also undergone a kind of reissue program looking at Taking care of her legacy and releasing it in a in a really uh, dignified way, whether that be the 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 original Memphis uh, recordings that we made with Tom Dowd back in Memphis, uh, that record that came out a couple of years back, and uh, the Memphis documentary on BBC, uh, and even this year with Demodelica and Right yeah. City Blues uh, double album. Um, I've been able to put some of our work out there uh, for people to digest and hopefully they'll view us in a different light, you yeah. know, rather than this just bunch of degenerate junkies. Um, it definitely comes across. I mean, that, yeah. I've only just discovered that demo, Delica, actually, and it's, right. it's some really great stripped-back stuff that, you know, especially off the Scream of Delica record, that you, you, just like vocals and guitar sometimes, it's great to see the seed of where a lot of that stuff comes from, I think. Thank you. The anticipation is immense. You look to your left. It's too late to go to the bar. You look to your right. You don't need the loo anyway. You look over your shoulder. 50,000 strong. Look at that lot. The lineups put you in prime position. One epic shot for Instagram. And while we have you captivated, poised, ready, phone out, why not quickly jump back into your podcast platform and follow us? Go on, boom, one click. Don't miss out on the next episode of my beautiful podcast. How does that sound? Thought so. We, we move on to the next bit now, which is like the next band. But before we get there, speaking of like live stuff and formative live experiences, wasn't one of your first gigs with Alan, Alan McGee, watching Thin Lizzy? It was, yeah. And what was that like? It was a, it was a formative moment in my life. 
That's what I love about you, though, is that I always get the impression that you've never left that. That fanboy part of you has never left you. Yeah, but it doesn't. You know, if you ask people, like, I'm not putting myself in their company, but like Jimmy Page or yeah. Robert Plant or people like that, they, they're they exactly the yeah. same. You know, if you ask them about meeting like Professor Longhair or John Lee Hooker, or, you know, they're like, yeah. they turn into rabid fans. You know, like fanatics. They're fanatics. You know, these guys, record collectors. You know, I read yeah. an interview with Charlie Watts uh, in a magazine uh, this week. Uh, it was from like two or three years ago. And he was discussing his favourite drummers, his favourite British drummers. Uh, you know, and it was a, a lot of, you know, like guys from the late six, late 50s yeah. jazz drummers. And, you know, obviously people like Clem Coutini who yeah. became like a famous session guys. But he was talking about... There was this famous drummer that taught Ginger Baker. That was Ginger Baker's guru, right? Is it right? Phil Seaman that guy? So yeah, Phil yeah. Seaman, and you know, and he knew all these records that all these different drummers had played on. That people would say, "Oh, he's a train spotter," but you know, it's like, of course he is. Because yeah. how do you think he ended up in the fucking Stones? <laughs> because they were all train spotters. Yeah, they were. They were just obsessives, you know, weren't they? Like Wyman, I seen a, a thing with Wyman recently where he, he was talking about when I think he. He met Howlin' Wolf and he, he cried. <laughs> you know, he was crying when he actually met the wolf. It was too much for him. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Uh, and it's just like, we're all like that. Yeah. You know, or the, I mean, if you're not like that, what are you doing yeah. in rock and roll? But, um, I mean, and I should mention, you mentioned Robert Plant, but you you actually approached Robert. I think I read that you, you might have taken a tincture or two at this point and you were like, we've recorded this blues song and it would be really great to have you play a harp on it. And he did, didn't he? Well, I actually listened to that track this morning. I was listening to her album, Evil Heat. The Lord and, is um, My Shotgun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's actually all right, actually. Not a bad track. And um, he, um, what happened was I was in the pub and Robert was in the pub up in Primrose Hill. We screamed at a studio there and um, I'd had a few and I said, hey, Robert, it was like, a, I remember it was a Friday at like half six or something, right, or seven o'clock. And I went... Hey Robert, um, listen, we've we've got this um, track that's a cross between Throbbing Gristle and uh, Jimmy Reed or John Lee Hooker. Um, would you like to play blues harp? And he went, Yeah. He goes, When do you need me? And I said, As soon as possible. And he said, Well, look, I'm gonna wait till like um, you know, I'm I'm going to France tomorrow or Germany, uh, but I'll be back next week. Um, so he gave me uh, the 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 number the te- you know of his manager uh, Nicola and uh, I said you know just get in touch with Nicola and um, we'll sort it out so I got in touch with Nicola and we sorted it out he came out of the studio like 10 days later and um, all of the screen were there like Throb, Manny uh, I think Shields was there Ennis, me I don't know if Duffy was there and uh, we were in the control room Robert was in the 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 kind of live room and um, in between um (laughs) Him blowing his harp riffs, he'd go, he'd go, wah, 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 and he'd go, oh, baby, 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 and then he'd go, wah, 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 baby, baby, oh, oh, baby, wah, 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 and we were just like, oh, my God, and then he came out and he goes, was that, was that okay? You know, he go, I, I do, I think I can do it better, and we were going, listen, man, we've got it, we're on our knees worshipping you know, the golden god. Fuck and we were just like... You were getting the full levy breaks like that, weren't you? We were getting the levy break. It was just... it was, And then I met Jimmy a few years later and uh, Jimmy said, yeah, yeah, Robert told me he'd been up to your studio. And I goes, yeah, he was great. He goes, what did he do? And I goes, I played harp. And Jimmy said, um, I said, he was playing harmonica. And Jimmy goes, he's great. You know, Robert's great at harmonica. And he goes, and quick as a flash, uh, Paige said, um, what mic did you use? <laughs> I was like, uh, well... <laughs> Uh, I was on the spot, right? And I went, uh, Andrew Ennis, uh, our guitarist, engineered the session. Uh, I think it was a kind of like bullet mic, you know, like they used in the 60s and the 50s to record harmonicas. And he went, and Jimmy, I goes, I don't know the exact model. And uh, he was like, all oh, right, okay. Because you know, Jimmy's a real studio oh head, you know? Oh my God, yeah. So it was like, you know, he got all serious about yeah. it, you know? But there you go, you oh. know? I mean... Um, You're just a boy again, aren't you, in those moments? You know what I mean? And he's a, he's a lovely man, you yeah, know? He's he, just a, such a great man and lovely man and again musical fanatic yeah. you know see Moby Grape Skip Spence Rocky Erickson uh, 
Professor Longhair, and he's off. Yeah. You know, he, he'll be talking for hours. A bit like you, and uh, he's like he's a big fan of love as well, and Arthur Lee. And oh all that God, stuff. he, he, he worships Arthur Lee, doesn't he? Worships Arthur. Well, we should move on to the next act. Who do you think we should put on? I mean, we'll, I don't know if Robert will turn up at some point with his harp, no doubt. But who do you think we should put on next? I would say um, Peter Tosh with the Word Sound and Power Band, which featured a rhythm section of Sly and Robbie. <laughs> No, I don't know about this. What were they called? The, this Word, p- sound, and power. I don't can't believe I've not really heard that this was stuff. the that was a Tosh band, you know, that he okay. toured with internationally. I, I tell you this: the one thing I do know about Peter Tosh is that I live in I live near Neesden, right? It's not very uh, glamorous, but the the Whalers had a house in oh, Neesden, yeah. and Peter Tosh used to fucking work in the fruit and veg shop. On Neesden Parade. He yeah. used to do it back in 1972 or whatever. They've got a plaque up there now. Right. So he used to occasionally sell, you know, sell sweet potatoes or I whatever. Tell. And and so this particular band uh, featuring Peter Tosh and Sly and Robbie. What era is this then? So this would, was this been late 70s, early 80s, that kind of vibe? 1977, yeah. 78, 79, 80, 81. It is very hard, hard rhythmic militant reggae with yeah. a message yeah. with a militant message there's no love and peace with Peter Tosh it's um, you know it's uh, equal rights and yeah. justice and I'm a step and razor don't touch my sides I'm dangerous um, very dark thrusting um, sharp uh, combative aggressive militant poetic um, rebel music yeah. you know rebel and music. Um, this is going to stir everybody and make them stand to attention. Uh, when Peter Tosh is on stage, you have to pay attention. Yeah. You know, he's probably going to come out dressed in either military fatigues, dreads and a blackberry, looking like a, an MPLA uh, rebel, you yeah. know, fighting a white South African uh, racist apartheid army. Or he's going to come out dressed as an Arab. He also came out dressed as like a, almost like a, he had like a black jalaba and a black Arab head dressed. He looked like a sheikh, where wielding a samurai sword and um, bringing the, bringing the fucking justice, basically. Bringing it, bring it, it reminds yeah, he, you of like a public enemy thing ten years later, doesn't it, or or whatever that the same kind of vein. Really. He was demanding equal rights and justice. You know, um, you know, South Africa, Palestine, Angola, Cuba, Jamaica, England. America. There's a vein here, though, isn't there, throughout all of music, it seems to me, and it reminds me a little bit about where you come from, where we come from, and that sort of working-class British thing. Is There's an allegory there, it feels like to me. Uh, you know, you, you, we've talked about the escape of the artist from from what could be difficult and, and humble beginnings. Is, is what Peter Tosh is talking about in his lyrics there uh, analogous to what, what you feel, you know, coming from Glasgow and coming from a hard, you know, not I'm not necessarily saying that your background was really difficult or anything, but like that we come from that a working class environment where a lot of the time you're sort of held down by an establishment that don't want you to rise up. That's true. It's um, uh, yeah, that's true. You're very aware of oppression, you know, and I think you're aware of uh, class structures. You know, like a, a Tosh would have would have been aware in Jamaica of um racial structures and class structures yeah. which were imposed by the British. Yeah. Colonial. Oh, you colonial, get... the colonial regime and, you know, even if Jamaica did get its independence in 1959 or 1960 or whenever it was, it, it was a post-colonial country because the white, the white colonialists still run the country, yeah. you know, in all but name, you know, and, um, and so he was very aware of that being born into like, um, I think he was born out in the countryside and, uh, it was a country boy that came to the city and um, where he met the rest of the whalers, you know, I guess in Trenchtown, like Bunny and, and uh, Bob. And um, I think Peter was politicised by Prince Buster. Prince Buster, I believe, um, held, stood in the street and uh, did teachings. Did he? To the youth, yeah. Uh, outside, uh, I think it was one of the record stores. Prince Buster was a very deeply into black nationalism. Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, he was um, friends with Malcolm X. He would go 
back and forth from New York to 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 to, wow. to, to Jamaica, and he instructed the youth in these teachings, uh, black radicalism and class structures and stuff. And Peter Tosh was one of his students. It was a street seminar in yeah. radicalism, okay. black radicalism. Prince Buster. And it's like... Very um, clever I man. I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, due to, say, my father, uh, my father's influence, I, I became aware of class issues uh, and class struggle uh, back in... Um, you know, growing up in uh, in Glasgow, but Glasgow's got a left wing, a proud left wing tradition of, you know, class struggle. Uh, you know, not taking any shit from Westminster, basically. Definitely, yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We go from uh, Peter Tosh um, with that incredible band. We go to the next, the next stage of the day, the next band that they're on. Before we do it, it's going to be like we 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 drifted past lunch now, so we need some carbs. We need some kind of lunchy type thing going on. Uh, the, as I say, the, the 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 carbs are important during this day. Uh, what are we having for lunch before we see the next band? What about some brown rice and chicken? Oh yeah, all right, yeah. Spicy, not too spicy, and maybe some, um, you know, broccoli, some veg. You know. I like what you've is done. Is that a there. bit boring? No, I like what you've done though, because you, you, the thing is, if you, so, some, you can go a bit too stodgy, and if you do that, it slows you down, then you're in bed before eleven o'clock. So what? you, you've got or you could have some pasta, there. you know. Yeah, you could. You could. Uh, Why don't we have some pasta, right? Some mm. linguine with. Um, mm. Do you want some like beef shin ragu or something like that? Um, I'm not sure what that is. I'm sure. Um, it's like a really, if I do it, it would be really nice. Um, or linguine with, you know, some shellfish or something. Yeah, right. I don't know. All right. King prawn. Yeah, something like that. All, all right. right. But uh, not too much, not a big plate. Yeah, exactly. We Otherwise, don't it makes you go to sleep. Slows all down right. for the okay. next act who are going to be Jerry Lewis and Chuck <laughs> Berry. <laughs> yes. And the backing band is going to be the Memphis Beats. Um, who are a bunch of speed freaks that toured with um, Jerry Lee around the early to mid 60s right and the drummer was a guy called um, what was his name again oh come to me yeah. he was a fucking lunatic um, <laughs> Tarp Tarant right Tarp T-A-R-P I don't know this guy T-A-R-R-A-N-T Tarp Tarant he was uh, from Memphis wow and um, Jerry Lee would um at the end of the tour, the guys wanted just wanted to go home, you know. Jerry Lee would never let him go home. They had to stay in a hotel room with Jerry Lee and stay awake with him until he eventually said, "Okay, you can go." That's like a sort of uh, a, a sort of inmate situation, isn't it? Captive. Oh, you're flying on to go on tour with the, the killer, you know. You're it's like it's like getting a pirate ship, you yeah. Know? He is. Uh, have, have you ever come across these guys? Because he's still going, Jerry Lee, isn't he? Jerry Lee's still, still alive and kicking. Yeah, he has the last man standing. Yeah, I and love then, that story of um, there's, 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 there's tape of it, isn't there? I don't know if you've heard it. I'm sure you have, but of Elvis, Jerry Lee, and Johnny Cash all together at Sun Studios, and they're just sort of shooting the shit and talking and 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 sort of jamming and stuff. I think they call it the Million Dollar. That's the crucible of, of a lot of it, isn't it? The, the, the first wave of, um, I call it the first wave, you know, first wave rock and roll is maybe the best wave was Jerry Lee, Elvis, 
Buddy Horley, Gene Vincent, Little Richard, um, Everly Brothers. Um, I was listening to Buddy Horley this morning. It's a song called Valley of Tears. And I was, I never heard it before. I had me in tears. You know, I'm like, that guy's just too much. There's a, Jerry Lee, a couple of Jerry Lee live albums from the mid-60s called The Greatest Live Show on Earth. And who are we to argue? Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the that would get that. people going at lunch, you know, just after lunchtime. It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're heading somewhere here. We're heading, we're heading north, you know. There's no stopping us. There ain't no stopping us now. As McFadden, the Whitehead, uh, so beautifully sang back in. on the move. Yeah, on Philadelphia International Records in 1978. I know. love that idea because you need Chuck with a good band as well because he, he did that, famously did that thing, didn't he, where he would just, uh, he'd turn up anywhere as long as you had like $50,000 cash, you know, in a, in a briefcase or a bag and he'd just have some local pickup band and stuff. So I imagine sometimes if you saw him, he was shite, but other times if he had some great people with him, he must have been one of the best things well, ever. Chuck with the Memphis Beats would have been yeah. bloody good, you know. Memphis Beats were hard. They were a hard band because they had to play behind Jerry Lee, you know, and they were just, they were young, young Memphis guys who were just, you know, popping pills, to, yeah. you know, speed freaks and um, hellraisers just that like Jerry Lee. Frenetic you know? energy all the, all yeah. the time, isn't it? If you want to read about uh, Tarp Tehran, um, you should buy this book. Uh, it's called Hellfire by Nick Toshes and he... He writes about Tarp Tarant's experience. I can't wait to find that. Uh, the, you know, the, his um, hallucinogenic, uh, psychotic drug experience uh, <laughs> coming off the road with Jerry Lee. You know, it was, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, being on tour for a few years with Jerry Lee, uh, Tarp Tarant transformed into a werewolf. <laughs> It, it, it's a bit like PJ Proby or somebody like that. I love Proby. Have you, you heard I mean? Proby? Have you heard? I mean, maybe we could get Proby in a yeah. bill. Have you heard? I love Proby. I mean, have you heard Proby sing uh, Stagali? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh my yeah. God. What? What? what and what a, a sort of iconic song of the canon that is as well. And even you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna push myself right out here and really um, be contentious. Uh, PJ Proby's version of Heroes maybe. Maybe even better than David Bowie's. I don't know whether I know you need that. To, you, need, you need to play it on the show. Fuck. Is, um, he sings the shit out of it. There's something that I think... The that's man what, is a genius. It's that thing you're saying about Tarant. It, it, it reminds... It's almost like a Hunter S. Thompson thing where you, you're at the very edges of experience there, aren't you? It's Gonzo. You? Yeah. It's Gonzo. Gonzo. It's, it's, it's Gonzo life. Yeah. That's it. You know. Your entire it's not like you you come off tour and then you you're sitting in front of the telly. You your uh, entire existence is like that, isn't yeah, it? It's not like you're coming off tour and you're going for like a you know, back on a microbiotic <laughs> diet. Yeah. You know, your your diet is just, you know, pills and whiskey, you know. Well that I must ask you that question actually, because we as we've touched on, like not now, not for a long time, but that you did live towards the edge for for quite some time. But and you kind of get branded, uh, as, uh, you know, in the public consciousness as the as the the rock star, Bobby. Is it hard for you even now to step away from that that persona, or do you do you find it easy to do that and become a completely different and normal person, or how how do you uncouple yourself from the persona? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, do the gig. Uh, I'm straight. Um, that's it. I'm not partying. You know, and. Um, what or do you do to relax now? Well, you know, I read books. I read a lot of books. Um, you know, I go walks for my dogs. Um, when I get the chance to listen to music, but I haven't had the chance to listen to music recently. I've got a big bunch of records. I'm buying records every week. And um, last Friday, I went to my friend's record store, Stranger Than Paradise in Hackney, and I bought oh. a bunch of records, but I haven't had a chance to listen yeah. to them because I've been doing promo for the book, <laughs> traveling all around the UK. Um but I'm not complaining. I love that. Um, but you know, I read. You know, yeah. and uh, I read a lot of books. And and but you know, to me, you know, like um, back in the day, taking the speed was uh, it was uh, an occupational hazard, and you know, uh, it was um, not an occupational hazard. It was just something that you did to, you know, get on stage and get through the tour and give you a, an edge. Uh, to do the concerts and um, it seemed uh, seemed like a, a great 
it seemed like a fun thing to do, you know. And um, but of course, it does take your take its toll. But that's all part of the experience, you know. And um, I'm glad I did it. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But you know, it was. Um, I wouldn't change it for anything, you know. I think I accidentally took speed once. I thought it was Lemsip. But what I seem to remember about it, the the irony of it, is that it seemed to slow time down to me. When I got clean, I started thinking of it in depth. And I, I kind of came to the conclusion that I was using speed as an antidepressant, unknowingly. And it did slow down my thinking. Maybe I had ADHD. Yeah. Or, you know, I, yeah, my wife yeah. thinks someone that some kind of, she goes, you're definitely on the spectrum. Yeah. I, I don't know what that, you know, whatever that is, the spectrum, but there may be something in it. Um, and so ironically, the speed can slow the the, 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 the synapses yeah, down somehow. It, it makes you feel calm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it speeds and, other um, things up. I don't know how it works. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you, if you, you know, I'm sure if you'd run into me back in the day, late 90s, mid 90s, I was... You know, talking nine at the dozen or whatever, ten at the dozen, but um, d- 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 uh, whatever that statement, you know, that saying is. But you know, but I think internally, I'd be um, I'd feel I'd take the speed and I'd feel quite relaxed inside and calm. I'd feel yeah. calm. How are you doing out there? Are you ready for the next act of the day? People, make some noise! So, um, we've got a great... I mean, what a lineup so far. Tim Buckley, Peter Tosh in the band, uh, Chuck and Jerry Lee. Um, this is the sunset moment now. Who's going to be our fourth performer? MC5. Oh, yeah. And Stidges. Oh, How yeah. did we do that? We're just a Detroit. Uh, is it Panopicon? What's that word? I don't know what that means. It sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, a Detroit supernova. Yeah. Uh, where you get 30 minutes of the five and you get 30 minutes of the Stidges. They play like an hour long set. Fucking hell. Right. And so I think, I don't know who comes first, you know, it's very hard to follow the five. Do they have a fist fight before they go on or something? I don't know, but, you know, it's, it just feels like that 1969 energy, doesn't it? It's not, yeah, it's a revolutionary White Panther, uh, Grandy Ballroom, high energy, um, dope rock and roll and fucking in the streets, um, <laughs> you know, right, you know, you know, righteous, righteous power. You know, right, righteous sonic um, power. You know, and um, you know, and it's like it's like a call to arms. This is the this is the call to arms, right? You know, this is the. There were probably speed involved then as well. I mean, obviously, we're all peppermint tea these days, but you yeah. know, this is where it was all born and forged, wasn't it? That, like you say, this is just after '68 in America, where there's a seismic change in in, in the, the the political landscape, and everybody's fucking angry. Uh, youth are at least, aren't they? Yeah, this is we're we're, we're introducing some. I mean, we had some anger earlier with Tosh, yeah, and we had some. You know, Jerry Lee and Chuck, there's a bit of fun there, right? Although it's still very intense. Uh, but the five and the stages come on and it's just like a real visceral, you know, very glam as well. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. the five will be have, they, they're going to be dressed with like, um, you know, kind of glitter jackets, satin shirts, you know, in wild colours. metallic colours and stuff. And, white yeah. throws, um, you know, moss red guitars, yeah. you know, held like machine guns. You know, shooting the audience with you know, power chords, um, and free jazz, uh, you know, guitar runs, you know, and um, and then Stooges come on, and um, and the Stooges are the link between Jerry Lee and Chuck and the Five, because the Stooges just take it down a notch or two, and they go into this oh mind, this uh, like funky swamp of um, kind of sexual kind of just the, the groove just slows down a bit yeah. right it starts to get funky and less uptight and uh, it prepares us 
for the next, the next, the headline. Oh, this is what the, we, the headline on it. So I mean, you know, and you'll see what's coming. You you'll see why I went from the five to the Stooges. You know. So people have gone. We've got quite a journey here. Before we get to it now, who are you hanging out with, by the way? Who's the ultimate gang to be absorbing all this with? Who are the people who are with you? You got Jim Morrison. You got William Burroughs. Pierre Clemente. He was an actor. Um, Jean Luc Godard's there. Bloody hell. Um, Nico. Nico, uh, I just started John Cooper Clark's autobiography, which right. I'm sure she will be popping up quite I'm sure soon. Sure, she will be. One of our old drummers, Toby Tominov, um, he played with Nico for a while, and I think he lived in a f- flat in Brixton with Clark and Nico. It was kind of shooting gallery, but um, we will have uh, Anita Palenberg. Oh, uh, who else? Uh, maybe Marianne Faithful. God. Um, and um, I imagine they all like churros as well because I, I'm, you know, I think at this point of the festival, you need something that's a decent pick me up, a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of sugar. I can imagine Jim enjoying that. I can imagine William Burroughs enjoying that. But they're all people of a similar um, mindset, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, Again, towards the edges of yeah. normal culture and propriety, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, who else could we have? Um, we could have. Um, there was this girl called Aisha. I used to watch this program, Lift Off with Aisha. She was a pop presenter. She's kind of Asian-looking English girl yeah. who was in the marquee scene just around here back in the mid-60s. Uh, I think she also made records, uh, but she became a TV presenter in the 73, 74. She had a program called Lift Off with Aisha, well, which is actually... The title stolen from an English psych band called Kaleidoscope. They've got a great uh, track that sounds like Sid Barrett's Pink Floyd called titled Lift Off with Aisha. It's beautiful. Yeah. But she's a kind of sexy girl and, um, as I say, kind of Asian, yeah. uh, maybe to say. And um, we'll have her backstage. We'll have Dana Gillespie, my namesake, and a, a very interesting, uh, very erudite uh, lady. We'll have, um, maybe we'll throw in, um, who else could we throw in? Um, Julie Christie. Oh my God. Does that mean that... Intellectual, uh, leftish intellectual actress. Um, uh, We could have... um, Does she bring Terence Stamp with her then? Yeah, Terence is there, but the only problem with that is we'll all lose our girlfriends to Terence Stamp. He's so beautiful, isn't he? Wives and girlfriends just gravitate to Terence Stamp. (laughs) You know, they, uh, you know... um, the women love Terence. Yeah, he's so um, gorgeous. We could have Chris Stamp, his brother. We yeah. can have Andrew Legoldum. Oh, God. We can have, um, who was the other guy that managed oh, to her? yeah, um, Kit Lambert. We have Lambert. Fucking Lambert. hell. Yeah, he we was have, a, we he have was Malcolm a McLaren. Oh, my God. We have McLaren there. It's a well-stocked um, bar. We have, um, the other guy we have there is uh, Guy Stevens. Yeah. Who produced London Colin, but he also... Was the A and R guy for Island Records and the and Sue Records? He was also DJ at the Scene Club. Guy Stevens will be playing the records right. in the backstage bar, like the after show. Well, Guy was the DJ at the Scene Club down in Ham Yard here. Yeah, he was. And he? yeah, yeah, he was hip, the happiest guy in London. He had, he had all the oh, mods dance to his sounds. Bloody and hell. he was also president of the Chuck Berry fan club. So. So guys, the music's going to be great. Yeah, that's going to be great because he that's also, where we're going to go at the end. Guy Stevens also put Mark the Hippo together with Ian Hunter. Did not know that. Yeah. So he's got. But chops. just the first four more albums. Um, okay. Discovered Proko Haram. Um, signed free to Ireland. The guy is a genius. A wrong role, and produced London Calling as his swan song. <sighs> I mean, that's, I mean, just for the drum sound alone, that's a piece of genius. So, but that leads us to, before we get to Guy's After Show, who's who's the headliner? The headline is Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> so now we're going to bring it to the stage. We're going to party all night long. We're going to take the roof off the motherfucker. We're going to take the roof off the motherfucker. We're going to have George Clinton with the Parliament Funkadelics with Eddie Hazel. Bitsy Collins, the Horny Horns with Fred Wesley, and they're going to have a ga- we're going to have a guest appearance by none other than King of Funk, Mister Sly Stone, Sylvester Stewart. 
Oh, yeah. well done. Right. Well done. And um, and we're going to have a medley of Sly Hits. And it's going to be orgasmic. It's going to be shamanic. It's going to be the ultimate festival party experience. Everybody at this point, the acid is going to be peaking. They're going to be peaking on the acids. They're going to be coming on in the ecstasy. There's going to be dope rock and roll and fucking in the fields. <laughs> fucking in kilts. You know, and uh, you're going to have to, if you're wearing a coat, you got to take that coat off, baby, <laughs> and get down and get with it, as that great Little Richard and Slade uh, song uh, instructs us to do. Oh. We're going to do the boogaloo. We're going to party all night long. We're going to get our rocks off. And we're going to kick out the jams, motherfuckers. And you're gonna and what a way to finish. And you probably could they could do a bit of funky jam with they could because you guys all played together, of course, back in the day. So well, if George you know, wants to bring on bring on the myself screen. and Ennis and resurrect Denise Johnson and yeah. the throb, you know, we're, oh. we're we're listen, we're ready to bring the noise, you know. We're ready, we'll take it to the stage and <sighs> we'd love to get up there with George and Fuck. the boys, you know. Free your mind and your ass will follow. Is exactly. What we're gonna Free your mind and your ass will follow you. Bloody hell. That's get loaded. Amazing, what, mate. Just what is it you want to do? <laughs> we want to get loaded. We want to have a good time. We want to be free. Schematelic, funkadelic. Let's, let's go, baby. Oh, mate. You've just. Okay, absolutely... baby. Let's go. <laughs> you, okay, baby. Let's go. You've totally nailed it. Okay, baby. Let's go. Tim Buckley, Peter Tosh. Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis in the Memphis Beats with a PJ Proby side order and then we've got Parliament Funkadelic Sly and the Family Stone and Primal Scream uh, with Throb and Denise as well we're throwing it all at the wall and that is at Culloden it is Bobby Gillespie's perfect moment it couldn't get better than that it's a beautiful thing and what we've got to call it something uh, we call it um, Jacobite the Jacobite's last stand that's it the Jacobites' last stand, ladies and gentlemen, is where it's all happening all at the same time in the most phenomenal way. And look over there to the left. Terence Stamps just knit your girlfriend. Um, it doesn't get better than that. What a way to finish and what a wonderful experience it's been to do this fantasy festival, the lineup with you today. Thank you so much, Mr. Bobby Gillespie. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure.